verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, Jacob should have learned the lesson in his own home that to play a favorite will cause trouble in a family. His own father had favored the elder brother, and this boy knew what it was to be discriminated against, and now he practices the very same thing. And, of course, we begin to excuse him because we say, well, after all, it was Rachel who really was his wife, who really was the one he loved, one fine thing in his life. And this boy is a fine boy, as well as Benjamin, and he loved this boy. Well, that's all true, by the way. But he shouldn't have bought him that coat of many colors. Now, the coat of many colors, that may not be the accurate translation. There are those that translate this coat with sleeves in it. You see, in that day, putting sleeves and coats just wasn't the popular thing to do. It wasn't the latest style. Hart, Schaffner, and Marx were not making coats like that then with sleeves in them. And it was difficult. After all, the thing they did was to take a long strip of goods and the middle ways in it. They'd take about 12 feet or maybe 10 feet, and they would put a hole right in the middle of it, stick their head through it, half of it drop down in front and half in the back, then they'd just tie it together or they'd sew it together. And that was the close of the day. They didn't have sleeves. Apparently, this was a garment had sleeves in it. That, of course, set him apart, but maybe not quite as much as if it had many colors. And verse 4, When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. And they certainly did hate him. They could not speak peaceably unto him. Now, we look into this family again, and you notice the strife that's been in all of these families. I tell you, I don't care what family it is. Sin today, friends, not only ruins lives, it ruins families. Not only ruins families, it'll ruin a community. It'll ruin a city. It's ruining our cities today. They say this thing and that thing and another thing's ruining our cities. Just one thing. God calls it sin, S-I-N, sin, and it ruins nations. And so this boy, Joseph, he's being discriminated by both the father and now the brethren. The father loves him, the brethren hate him. And verse 5, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Anything that Joseph did certainly didn't bring the love of his brethren for him. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. Now I have a feeling that this 17-year-old boy at this time, who has been kept, I'm sure as long as Rachel lived, on her apron string, very much like Jacob had been reared at first. Generally, when a fellow like this who's been raised tied to his mama's apron string, does finally break loose from the apron string, he's apt to go any direction. In fact, he's apt to go every direction. Jacob did, but Joseph won't. Joseph is a remarkable individual. Now, how do you explain, though, this conduct here? Why would he go and tattle on his brethren 
when he knew it would incur their hatred, and why would he tell them this dream? Well, I think that there's one explanation for it. He's been tied to his mama's apron string so long, he doesn't know how bad this world can be. And he doesn't know how bad his brothers can be. I'm of the opinion he's a rather gullible boy at this time. And you'll find out that it took him a long time to find out about the ways of the world. And when he did, he probably knew as much about the ways of the world as anyone later on, but not at this time. He's a 17-year-old boy raised as he was raised in that day and a favorite of his father. His father now centers all of the affection that he had for Rachel. And you can understand there's a tremendous background here and how human we all are. Oh, Jacob is a young man, went out there and saw Rachel. Boy, he fell in love with her. Love at first sight. She was a beautiful thing. He had to work 14 years for her. And then there was several years before a child was born. And finally, Joseph is born. And my, Rachel's gone now, so what does he do? He just centers all of his affection in this boy. He shouldn't have done it. He's got more of them around there. But he centers his affection in this boy here. But listen at the dream that he has. And he just tells it right out. I'm reading verse 7 now. He says, For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf rose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. They asked probably in a sneering, cynical way, you really think that you're going to reign over us? And they hated him, though, because he had this dream. But that doesn't end the dreams. He has another one. He dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother, thy brethren indeed, come to bow down ourselves to thee in the earth? And he told this dream. They understood what he was talking about then. Those who study the book of Revelation today don't seem to know. When they find a woman mentioned in the twelfth chapter of Revelation with the sun, moon, and stars under her feet, that that means the nation Israel. These brethren understood that it's the sons of Israel that we're talking about. And it's the nation Israel as it was there at the beginning. You see, what's given in Genesis is like a bud to a flower, and that opens up as you go through Scripture. Now, here's one that's not going to open up till you get to the book of Revelation. It's a late bloomer, by the way, but it's going to open up there. And we ought to understand what is being said there and not attempt to guess. Don't need to guess when it's made this clear here. Old Jacob understood it exactly. He says, why does this mean that... Your father, your mother, your brethren are going to bow down to you. Well, this boy, all he could say, well, this is what I dreamed, and this is it. Verse 11, And his brethren envied him 
But his father observed the saying. Brethren just dismissed it. They paid no attention to it. They thought this was certainly in the realm of impossibility. And far as those ten brethren were concerned, not one of them was going to bow down to him. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now, you see, Jacob has moved way down around Hebron, and these boys are keeping the sheep. Now, they've gone way north. They're up about as far north of Jerusalem as they lived at Hebron, south of Jerusalem. I don't know how far it would be, 30 or 40 miles each way, so that you've got about 80 miles, and they probably got as far as 100 miles from home. So you can see that they grazed their sheep over that entire area. And they took the flock way up to Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. Joseph said, Yes, I'll go. He's very obedient to his father, you notice. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee. See whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. You see, all the way from Hebron up to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. When he got up by Shechem, he began to look around everywhere. That's rugged terrain up there, by the way. And this boy, Joseph, he couldn't find them. The man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? I think the man said, Well, you passed my tent here half a dozen times. Who are you looking for? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now, Dothan is a long ways north of Shechem, by the way. Dothan is right near the valley of Esdraelon. This is where they had gone. And so Joseph went up there, and he found them. And when they saw him, how far off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Now, they certainly hated him. And they say, now we're going to get rid of him. After all, they're probably 100 miles from home. And they say, we're going to get rid of him now. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Well, here comes the dreamer. And we're going to see about those dreams, whether they'll come to pass or not. We're going to leave off our story at that particular place But let me begin even here to call your attention to the comparison of this boy to the Lord Jesus. The analogy, you just can't miss it. To begin with, the birth of this boy Joseph, you see, was practically miraculous. In fact, it was miraculous in his case. And the Lord Jesus is virgin-born. His is miraculous. Joseph was loved by his father. The Lord Jesus was loved by his father. He said, this is my beloved son. And Joseph had the coat of many colors that set him apart. And Christ was separate from sinners. Joseph announced he was to rule over his brethren. The Lord Jesus presented himself as the Messiah. 
And you remember, they ridiculed him. In fact, that was put in ridicule on his cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Notice the analogy. And Joseph was sent to his brethren, and Jesus came to his brethren, first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Joseph was hated by his brethren without a cause. The Lord Jesus was hated by his brethren without a cause. Tremendous parallel, you see, friends. We'll follow that on down as we follow the story now of Joseph. And verse 20, "'Come now therefore and let us slay him. Cast him into some pit, and we'll say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams.'" Now, Reuben here, who has already lost his position as the firstborn, it'll be transferred to Judah. But Reuben actually stands out in a good light here. He has more mature judgment than the others. And verse 21, I'm reading, "...and Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him." They would have slain him right there and then. But Reuben intervened, and he rescued him and said, Look, brethren, let's not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit that's in the wilderness. Lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Now, it was Reuben's avowed purpose that when he was put in the pit, that he would slip back and take him out of the pit and take him home to his father and tell him what had happened. But when he was put in the pit, it came to pass, verse 23, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. In other words, that coat was like waving a red flag in front of a bull because they hated him. That set him apart from them. And they certainly didn't like that by any means because several of them, according to the law of primogeniture, that is, that the elder has prior claim, why, there were several of them that were older than he was. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There's no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. These were traders that were going by. And Judas said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? In other words, Judah now intervenes. It doesn't seem to be a very good plan of his, but at least he doesn't want murder to take place, and he doesn't want the blood to be on the hands of the brothers of Joseph. And he makes this suggestion, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Well, they said, what we want to do is to get rid of him. And if we sell him to these Ishmaelites, they'll take him down to Egypt. That's where they go and sell him into slavery. And that, to us, is just the same. It's getting rid of him. And slavery in many places was a living death. Anyway, certainly they'd never hear from him again. And so we read verse 28, Then there passed by Midianites merchantmen, and they drew 
and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now, I'm sure that at this point you are saying, well, Moses, make up your mind. You called them Ishmaelites at first, then you called them Midianites, now you come back and call them Ishmaelites again. What are they? And isn't this an error in the Bible? I was handed many years ago now by a student, and it had been handed to him a little blue paperback book that showed, I think, a thousand or two thousand errors in the Bible. I looked it over. I never found any errors except in that little book. And one of the errors was here, that one place it says Ishmaelites, another place Midianites, uh, which is accurate. Well, let's look at this for a moment, because this is quite interesting, and it reveals how the critic and those that hate the Bible, how they can manufacture actually that which reveals something of the accuracy of it. Now, who were the Ishmaelites? Who was the father of the Ishmaelites? Abraham. Who's the father of the Midianites? Well, Abraham. You see, Ishmael was the son of Abraham by Hagar. Midian was a son of Abraham by Keturah that he married after the death of Sarah. Now, these are brethren, actually, Ishmaelites and Midianites. And they're akin to this crowd here of boys that are selling their brother, too, by the way. And after all, at this particular time, even an Israelite, there are not but twelve of them. And how many Ishmaelites do you think there'd be at this time? I doubt whether it'd be over a hundred of them, that is, of all of them. And Midianites, how many of them would it be? Midian was born after Isaac was born, so that there could not probably have been maybe a dozen Midianites. Well, with the small groups like that, tribes in that day, and they're related, and the desert was uh, traveling to Egypt, at least in that day, was dangerous, so they just joined together. And what Moses is trying to make clear to us as we read this is that the Ishmaelites and the Midianites had joined together. A small band of each made them stronger, and they're related. They understand each other. So they're on the way down to Egypt to do business. May I say that the Word of God makes good sense if you just let it make good sense. We are the folk that don't make good sense with it. And, of course, ignorance adds a great deal to the contradictions that people think they find. The contradiction is not in the Bible, but it's in the ignorance of people who read. And this, of course, is a good example. You can see how whoever wrote this knew exactly what the situation was in that day. Now, they sell Joseph, and they're taking Joseph down to the land of Egypt. And verse 29, And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes. He returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. Now, whether they brought Reuben in on this, I don't know. I'm of the opinion they did. I think they said, Well, we sold him into Egypt, and he's halfway down there now. So they've got now to get some sort of a 
cock and bull story to tell old Jacob about what happened to Joseph. Now, what do they do? They took Joseph's coat and they killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. Pretty clever, isn't it? Why, they act as if they never had seen Joseph. All that they knew, according to their story, which is a lie, they said, why, we found this coat. And believe me, they knew that coat. They hated that coat. And they say, why, we don't recognize the coat, but do you recognize it? Could this be the coat of your son? Believe me, Jacob knew whose coat it was, and he knew it and said, it's my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. This is the conclusion and the natural conclusion that he would come to and the conclusion that these other sons of Jacob intended for him to. But let's pause now a moment and take a look at this. Does this matter of deceiving the father with a goat, does that remind you of anything that we've had before? Well, if you'll just think about this for a few moments, do you recall that when Jacob was a young fellow, he and his mother connived together to deceive Isaac? And the thing they did was they killed a goat and they cooked it up, you know, made him savory meat to eat. And then they took the skins of the goat and put it on the hands of Jacob. And he went in and deceived his father. And the thing has to do with a goat. <laughs> now, the brethren of Joseph, sons of Jacob now, they kill a goat. They dip the coat of many colors in the blood, and they come and hand it to old Jacob and said, Do you recognize it? Jacob said, I sure do. Well, so we found it up there. Looks like a wild beast or something must have got to him. Something happened to him. And old Jacob came to the conclusion that his boy's been killed. He's been deceived. Will you listen to this? He is deceived in the very way that he had deceived. Chickens come home to roost. The Word of God says, and says it very specifically, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Not something else, not something similar, but the same thing. If you sow to the flesh, you will love the flesh, reap corruption. This man Jacob did some bad sowing. He used deception. And in the same way in which he deceived his father, when he became a father, he's deceived in the identical way. You see, when you sow corn, you get corn. When you sow tares... You get tares. You get exactly what you sow. That's true in any realm you care to move it today. And it's certainly true in the moral and spiritual realm. And that's true today of any believer. If you think you can get by with sin and you're a child of God, you have another thought coming. In fact, you better take that other thought and not do the thing. Because God is no respecter of persons. He said this is the way it's going to be. And just because you are you, you don't get by with it. I talked to a minister 
oh, this has been now at least five years ago, that he got involved with another man's wife. It was a sordid story. As I talked with him, he tried to justify himself on the basis that he was something special of the Lord's, that because he was who he was, he operated on a different plane and by a different rule book than anyone else. May I say, God's no respecter of person. In the very way in which this fellow had sinned, he'd come home to him. God says you don't get by with it at all. If you sin in this direction, the day will come. It took it a long time for the chickens to come home to roost, but they came home to roost for this man. Now, will you notice the grief of Jacob? And this is something else to note at this point. And Jacob rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons, all his daughters, rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I'll go down into the grave unto my son mourning, Thus his father wept for him. And somebody is going to say, My, isn't that a demonstration of how much he loved his son Joseph? Well, I'll have to admit he certainly loved his son Joseph. But this man has not learned to walk by faith yet, friends. You remember the experience he had at Peniel. It was the deflation of the old ego, perpendicular pronoun I. The flesh collapsed there, but now he's got to learn to walk by faith. And he hadn't learned it, and he hasn't learned it at this point. You'll notice when you get to the 11th chapter of Hebrews and the example of faith of Jacob, you find nothing in his life. It's not until you get to the time of his death that you find faith really exhibited in his life. And if you want to know whether this is an exhibit of faith or not, Compare the grief of this man to David at the weeping for his son and also of his weeping over Absalom. Now, David loved his son Absalom and loved that little one that was born just as much as Jacob loved his son, Joseph. But he also was a man of faith. And after he had grieved, he went on. He knew someday, he said concerning that little one, he said, that little one can't come back to me. That's for sure. My grieving won't help there a bit. But I'm going to the little one someday. What faith? Poor Jacob, you see. He's not walking by faith, friends. This is abnormal grief. And Christian friend, and I'm talking, I'm sure, to some folk, you've lost a loved one. You can't get over it. I want to say to you, not brutally, but kindly, learn to walk by faith. You manifest the Christian life when you recognize that you can't bring that one back and your grieving is doing no good at all. But if the one you're grieving of is a child of God, you're a child of God, and walk by faith, you're going to see that one someday. And you're going to see that one and never be separated. Now, look, can't you walk by faith? Don't exhibit that lack of faith, that is in the people of the world, and that's the way they grieve today. Now, we read verse 36, the last verse here, "...and the Midianites sold him into Egypt under Potiphar, 
an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Now, we're going to leave Joseph right there, and we'll pick up his story in chapter 39.